middle of a series uh, that we've been working through in the, just looking at the signs that John recorded for us in his gospel. As we've done this, as we've gone through this series on these seven miraculous signs, it's, it's somewhat, um, at least as I've gone through this, I guess it's, it's confronted me with the idea or the, the reality that it's easy to read these and not be moved by the magnitude of them. I mean, we live in an overstimulated world, if you think about it. Everywhere we turn, there's special effects, and there's, there's these, these images of just super uh, overinflated, uh, just, just things that we can't imagine are happening in front of us because of what we can do with video and sound. And so, I mean, we can make people fly. We can, we can easily do things that we saw Jesus doing in the Gospels. It's, it's nothing for a filmmaker to turn water to wine. It didn't really happen. It doesn't really happen in the movie, but it certainly looks like it. And so it's easy for us to read these, these short passages, I think, and, and in our overstimulated culture, come to a, just, just miss how big they are. Just miss how, how much they should move us and miss how, exactly what, what is happening in them. And so we've taken this time to slow down and look at these seven miracles, these seven signs, and ask really what we see in them it, because it's re really not just that John wants us to see the magnitude of these miracles. It, it's not that he simply wants us to see Jesus demonstrating power. He wants us to learn about who Jesus is and these signs point to Christ. I mean, we've seen Jesus change water to wine. We've seen him change the chemical makeup of water. The, he, he totally radically changed water. It wasn't, it wasn't as if there was some grape juice there already and he just watered it down. This was water that he changed, the molecular construct of it, and it became wine. From 20 miles away, he says, your son is going to get well, and the boy who, who belonged to this nobleman that had approached Jesus, the boy became well at the very moment Jesus spoke. He didn't even have to be in the room. His power, his word has that much power. He healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. The man had atrophied muscles. He had a, a problem that it, it did not enable him to walk. It, 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 something was broken. And Jesus not only fixed what was broken, he gave his muscles strength and gave the man an ability to walk in just that much time. Just like that. Get up, take your mat, and walk. The man got up and took his mat and walked. He, he multiplied five loaves of bread, and not big loaves like Iron Kid's loaves that you buy at the store. He took five poor man's loaves that would fit in the palm of your hand and two fish, and he began to break them apart, and he didn't stop until the point that the multitude, 5,000 men and all of the women and children that had accompanied them, some estimates upwards of 20,000 people, all of them ate their fill. They had all they wanted, and there was leftovers. In each of these, we've not just seen the power of our Savior. We've seen our Savior. We've seen Jesus revealed. I mean, to make these things happen today, I can't imagine what it would take. I can't imagine what we would have to go through to try and, try and fake this or build some facade of it. We see it. In our movies, we see it in, in the ways we live our lives, but the reality is we don't see the realness of it. And I think because of that, we miss our Messiah. We, we miss the, the fullness and, and the, the intensity of following this Christ. 
We don't realize the fullness of his promises. Today, I, I hope as we study another sign, one of the, the fifth sign that John shares with us, that we won't miss out because I don't want us just simply to hear these previous signs that Jesus saves. He converts us just like he did to water and wine. I don't want us to just hear that he satisfies us like he did when he fed the multitude. I want us to recognize that as we walk in this life following Christ, feasting on Christ, that that's where we find the peace of God. That's where we find peace with God, the peace from God. I mean, we hear Paul in Philippians talk about a peace that passes understanding. And he tells us if, if we want the peace that passes understanding, all we have to do is go and, and, and lay our prayers at the foot of our Savior to bring our concerns in prayer, to lay them at his feet. And part of doing this, part of this process, is recognizing who he is, what he's capable of. And today I think we're going to see that demonstrated. In the context of the passage, it's going to be John chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, certainly you, you can turn there now. Uh, the verses will be on the screen uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today. But the context, Jesus has just fed the multitude. This miracle happens, these two signs happen back to back. Jesus feeds the multitude, and then he walks on some water. And Before we even begin to really get the explanation of what Jesus was doing when he fed the multitude, he performs another miracle, he performs another sign. They recognized, the multitude recognized Jesus as this prophet that they had been waiting for. They, they saw him. And they went to him, and they were going to force him to be king. In the midst of all this going on, Jesus sends his disciples away. He says, go, get in a boat, and go to Capernaum. So his disciples do what they're told, and Jesus withdraws from the crowd. And when he's there, they try to make him king. And instead of responding in obedience and submission, they try to force God to do what they expect him to and so Jesus withdraws, and he goes up on a mountain. And that's where we're going to pick up in John chapter 6, verse 15. Or verse 16, I'm sorry. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea had become rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And this miracle is not only shared here in John, it's also shared by Mark and Matthew. John gives us the least detail. And so as I studied through this and read about it, everybody wants to push back to Matthew and Mark. Everybody, everybody in their commentaries see the notes in Matthew and Mark. But the reality is, is Jesus, or John, I'm sorry, John recorded this for a reason. There's seven miracles that he recorded, and he recorded this one with the specific intent, that he, the same specific intent that he did the others. He wants us to see the Messiah. And so while we're going to kind of draw from Matthew and Mark to, to help us be in the midst of the context, we're really going to look at John's words and try to understand what he wanted his readers to see. And so here they are. Here, let, let's just try to be there. Let's just try to imagine it. The, the Sea of Galilee is, is in, a, in a crevice or in a, a gully. I mean, it's deep down. There's mountains that surround it. 
It's not a huge lake. It's about five or six, seven miles wide at its widest point. But it is big enough to get on it. And in the midst of it, winds blow across it. This is still a very common problem today. Winds blow across it. And they, they blow so fast that, these, that the wind picks up and, and, and builds huge waves. In fact, there's warnings all around the Sea of Galilee for people who still have boats on that sea to tie up their boats and secure them because the waves will tear them up. It'll destroy them. So this was a common occurrence. This was not something that they didn't think would, was possible to happen. It wasn't a surprise or a shock whenever they went out onto the sea or, or, or move out onto the sea and, and all of a sudden they are in the midst of a, a windstorm with huge waves. They weren't surprised by that. And Matthew and Mark tell us that they had left, or that when they left, they, they left at the instruction of Jesus. He tells them to go and he tells them where to go. They get in the boat and they head out. And they also tell us that they don't see Jesus again until the fourth hour of the night. That means three in the morning, four in the morning. So they leave at dusk and they paddle for about seven or eight hours and they don't make it across this lake that's only five, six, seven miles wide. And they're not really crossing at the widest point. So they didn't have that far to go. In fact, the estimates that I found, it was difficult to find estimates for how long they would have expected it to be, but, but most people that... that commented on it said that it should have only taken them about 90 minutes and so I don't know what it's like if you've ever been in this place the closest I've been to this is on a sailboat with my aunt out on a lake near Kansas City we're out there and she's it's a little bitty sailboat I mean it was me and her and I was a kid I wasn't nearly this big I was a kid and the boat was full with just us two there wasn't anybody else going to get in the boat with us and we get out on this on this lake that I don't even remember the name of it, but it doesn't matter. We get out on it, and the wind begins to blow so hard that it's tipping this boat over, and I'm scared to death. Now, she acts like it's no big deal because she's done it before. And she knows that, oh, yeah, we, we went out with the wind in front of us or behind us, but now we got to go back into a headwind. We're in a sailboat. Sailboats go the direction of the wind, right? That's, that's how they work. No, we're going to go into a headwind. I, I, I was scared to death. Now, these guys, they had some experience. They were, most of them were fishermen. They, they had gone. They knew what it was to be on these boats. But here it is, pitch black. Maybe the moon's shining. But there's a wind blowing. The wind and the waves are crashing. And all of a sudden, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what they see. I don't know if there's light glowing around him. I don't, I don't know what draws their attention but they see a figure out over the water. It's nighttime. They may have expected to see a silhouette of another boat. They may have expected to see other people fighting against the wind and waves, but I can guarantee you they did not expect to see a figure as if it was hovering or walking on the water. They didn't expect to see that. And that, whatever it was, at this point they don't know, whatever it was, it begins to move towards them. Now, that's enough to freak you out. I mean, maybe you've seen horror movies where, the, where the, that evil thing, that thing that scares you is moving at you. I know there's one movie, I think it was The Ring. My wife saw it, and she saw this, the, the lady with the black hair that hung over her face climb up out of a well and then begin to crawl towards you, and it freaked her out. She, she, I mean, she just saw the commercial, so there's no way she's going to watch the movie because she saw this thing coming towards her. And the reality is, is that, you know, dangerous things away from us might scare us a little bit. But as that proximity becomes closer and as it gets closer and it suddenly realizes, oh, this might affect us, it may do something, it may hurt us, there's danger 
you can be certain that their fear heightened the closer it got. But in the midst of that fear, they hear these words, it is I, do not be afraid. And things drastically changed at that point. Because no longer was this an apparition, no longer was it a ghost. That's what Mark, Mark and Matthew tell us, that they thought it was a ghost. They had no other way to describe what they were seeing. They heard their Savior's voice. They heard Jesus' voice. And in that moment, in this miracle, we begin to see a glimpse of Jesus, not just as a mere man. We get to see a glimpse of Jesus as a sovereign God. You see, he didn't just do this work. It wasn't a magic trick. It's not like he's Chris Angel walking across a pool in Las Vegas. I don't know if you guys have seen that. He's got this plexiglass that he lays down, and he's able to walk across it. It really looks like from the outside that he's walking on water. It's a trick. Out in the middle of a lake that's five, six, seven miles wide, this couple hundred feet deep, Jesus it is I, do not be afraid, standing there in the midst of the wind and the waves. You see, the reality is, is that we begin to see his sovereignty in this moment, in this work, in this, in this sign. We see Jesus not just in the walking on the water, but in several aspects of the whole, of, of the whole work that he was doing. Now, don't, don't miss this. I mean, the reality is we don't remember we don't remember this as another title other than Jesus is walking on the water because that's pretty big. But there's more to this. Jesus wasn't with them when they set out. He told them where to go. He wasn't with them as the wind pushed on them and they fought against it. He, he had no idea where to look for them. But yet he knew right where to find them. You see, we see Jesus as this sovereign God because Jesus knows his, where his disciples are the whole time. Mark actually, Matthew and Mark both call out, Mark specifically calls out that Jesus was on the mountain and saw them. Now, I've never, I've never been on a mountain around the Sea of Galilee. So I don't know if you can see all the way across this, this, lake, this huge lake, this big, this, this sea, if if you're standing on the mountain where Jesus was at, I, I don't know. But I'm certain, I, I've been on a body of water at night. And if there's not lights on the, on, the, on the banks, and the moon is not full and bright, you don't see very far in front of you at all. And here the wind is blowing, the waves are crashing. This is, not, this is not the best of circumstances. It's not as if there was there, probably not seven miles of visibility that night. Probably not that you could see all the details of what was going on that lake from a mountainside. The reality is, is what we have to attest to, what we have to accept is that Jesus knew where to find these disciples, not because he just stumbled upon them, but because he has divine knowledge. You see, Jesus can see things that we would never expect him to see. He knows things that we would never expect him to know. And these disciples, they, they may have thought they were on their own. Why did we leave when we left? Why, why, we should have waited till morning. But here they are in the middle of the night, fighting against us, seemingly alone. But Jesus knew where his disciples were the whole time. He didn't have to hunt for them like he was hunting a, a, a pen in a, in a haystack, a needle in a haystack. He went to them. 
Not, not to mention that he's going to them on his feet on the water. Now, I'm a big guy, and I recognize water's not going to hold me up. But I'd challenge the smallest of you to try it. We know that doesn't work. Oh, we know. It's so easy just to read past these words. Jesus was walking on the water. It's so easy just not to even get to, to, to stop and consider it. The, the makeup, the chemical makeup, the way that water is formed doesn't support the weight of a person. The closest we know of water, the, the closest water there is that I know of that can support the weight of a person is the Dead Sea. It's so thick with salt and, and, and it's, um, that, that the buoyancy of people, it, you can float on it without any effort. You just lay back and float. But there's warnings. Don't try to swim in it. Don't, do, don't splash around. Just lay back and float. Because if you try anything else, you find yourself in trouble. And so there's lifeguards on duty. Because people try to do the stupid thing and they try to ignore the warnings and they try to swim in it. Well, the reality is, is that water isn't meant to hold us up. And not just water, but gravity. We're thankful for gravity every day. We should be thankful for it. Imagine a world without gravity. But we sink in water partially because of gravity. And Jesus totally overcomes it. Not just is, is Jesus overcoming the water and what it is meant for, and, and not only is he dealing or overcoming the gravity, but the storm doesn't seem to be affecting him at all. The disciples went out and they paddled and they struggled for seven to eight hours and they still hadn't crossed the sea. In fact, Matthew tells us that they were in the midst of it, that as if they were still in the middle somewhere. Most of the commentators I read from believe that they had been blown way off course. And they were just struggling to get to the other side. Probably didn't care where they ended up just as long as they got to land again. And Jesus, on foot, steps out on the water and walks across. And those wind, that, that wind and those waves, his footing was just as solid as if he were on dry ground. You see, the reality is in this moment, we see Jesus controlling the, the creation. We see him calling it into submission to do things and act in ways, react in ways in which it was never intended to. It's contradictory to its existence. Gravity's meant to hold us down. It's meant to pull us to the earth. It, water is meant to be liquid. Imagine trying to drink water that's not, swallow a bunch of ice cubes. It's meant to, to mold and form and, and shape into whatever it sits in. It's meant to be that way. But it didn't matter. Jesus walked on it as if he were walking on the ground. And John tells us that Jesus, in the beginning, he was there. And he tells us that by Jesus and through Jesus and with Jesus... All things were created, that there was nothing created that, that Jesus wasn't there for, that Jesus wasn't a part of. And so Jesus, as the, the creator, Jesus, as that, that sovereign over creation, reveals himself to be still the sovereign over creation, calling it into submission, calling it into action. And then the, the, the third thing I think we see in this is not just Jesus's walk on the water, not just that he knows where the disciples are in the night, in the middle of the sea. But it tells us that when he stepped into the 
boat, when he got in, they immediately arrived at the place they were going. So if the commentators are right, if the people who, who have studied this and, and looked at it and gone back and looked at all the different ways that they could have been going and the things that they were fighting against, the, if, if they're right and these people were blown way off course, all of that was overcome the moment he stepped in the boat. And immediately they were on dry ground. There's only one explanation for this. Jesus is sovereign over everything. All things fall under his control. Not only was the water coming under his control, not only was, was he able to have knowledge that, that you and I couldn't have, there's no way we could go out on a sea, even if we had a boat in the middle of the night and hope to find a boat that may be about 26 feet long sitting in the middle of the ocean as the wind and the waves crash around it. We'd be lucky if we weren't in trouble too. And not only are we seeing that, but we see Jesus climbing this boat, and all of a sudden, time and space mean nothing. And immediately, they arrive at the place that they were going. And that's huge. I mean, the magnitude of that is amazing. It's bigger, probably, than most of us can imagine, and just really wrap our heads around it. I cannot, I, I just can't fathom him just being able to do that, just like that. But the reality is that in this action, in this work, in this sign, we see our sovereign God revealed. See, Jesus isn't just a man. He's so much more. He's our sovereign God. But in this sign, we, we also see and find a peace in the presence and the word of this sovereign God. Jesus comes to them. He's standing on the water, and they are scared to death. Imagine. How would you be reacting? What would you be thinking? Put yourself in that boat. The wind's crashing, or the wind's blowing, the waves are crashing. You're up and down, tossed all over. Maybe you get seasick. Maybe you'd be puking. And suddenly somebody says, what is that? And you're just hoping the guy on the rudder doesn't let go. I'm certain. I can only imagine, really, that, that, that they stopped paddling. They quit fighting the wind. They quit fighting the waves. They just stopped, and they're looking. What is that? And then he begins to move towards them. And this tension, this knot begins to build in their bellies. He's coming towards us. What do we do now? And this fright begins, this, this terror begins to overwhelm them. And then they hear these words. It is I. Do not be afraid. I, I don't think it's just that they heard a man's voice that made them feel better. But they recognized Jesus' voice. They recognized Jesus' voice. They're in the midst of this, and they're scared, and they're frightened. And it's not just some guy on the water. It's this man that they recognized and they knew. They'd seen him already just hours before, breaking bread to the point that everybody had their fill. Breaking fish until everybody ate what they wanted. They saw him... Uh, 
over and over and over again, healing people, making the blind see, allowing, causing the lame to walk, giving the deaf hearing. They'd seen him turn the water to wine. They'd seen him do the works and the powers. They'd seen him in, his, in, in, in the moments where he's not in front of the crowds. They'd seen the integrity of the man. They'd seen his te- or heard his teaching. They knew that he didn't just teach it, but he lived it. They knew, they knew this man intimately. And when they heard him speak, immediately terror changed to, to welcome. A desire to be separated changed to, to a desire to be close. No longer did they want to figure out how to get away from the apparition, but they wanted to be close to their Savior, Jesus Christ. They wanted so desperately to get away from that that they didn't want it anywhere near their boat till they recognized it was Jesus. You know, John doesn't give us this detail. Matthew tells us about the moment that Peter steps out on the water and walks to the Savior. And, and I don't want to make this about Peter. I think, unfortunately, too often we make it about Peter. I want to bring that in just to highlight this fact that this so radically changed this moment for them. That they wanted him in the boat and Peter wanted to run to him. Peter wanted to be next to him. Because they heard their Savior. Jesus hadn't taught this yet. He hadn't told them this yet, but he was going to be teaching in just, just a short while. That, that, uh, and he says it in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. These men had been with Jesus for likely around two years by this point. They'd left their, their lives behind, their jobs, their fr- family, their friends. They'd left it. They'd been walking with him, and they'd been following him, and they'd been hearing him. And now when they heard him, they wanted nothing more than to be with him. It wasn't just the sound of his voice. It wasn't just that Jesus showed up and said, it is I. You see, they had a great experience with Jesus. They knew what he was capable of. Matthew and Mark tell us that, and they record this sometime earlier than this. I don't know the exact span of time that that it happened, but this is not the first time they were in the midst of a stormy sea with Jesus in the boat. They knew, they knew that when Jesus got in the boat, they were going to be okay. Their experience told them that when he, came, when he came to them, when he showed himself to them, when he showed up, that things were going to be all right. Think about that first time. They're out on the sea, the wind is, and, and waves and the rain, it's just so bad that, that they're scared to death. And, and some of these guys are people that live on the water. And they were scared, and Jesus is asleep. And they, they go to Jesus, and they wake him up. Jesus, we're going to die. You need to do something. And he kind of rebukes them. Oh, you have little faith. And he causes the wind to stop, and the rain to cease, and the waves to be still, and everything stops, and the water goes still. Still. I couldn't help but think of you. <clears throat> still. It stopped. It was at peace. You see, they heard his voice and they knew not just because it was his voice, but because of what he was capable of. Because of their experience with him, their walk with him. That in his word and in his presence, there is great peace. Now, I have seen this illustrated recently in some discipleship that I'm doing with some guys in the church. I've been challenging each of them with some passages and encouraging them to go home. And, and we're not doing discipleship material on these weeks, but I'll send them home with some passages of Scripture to study and read. 
And without fail, without fail, they have all come back energized and excited because as they've spent time in his word and, they, and they're able to recognize with their own experience what God is truly capable of, they have sensed the power and the peace of his presence in their life. And what, what, what could we learn from this? I mean, truly, truly, this sovereign God who controls all of creation is the one that we're to go to for peace. It's, he's the one in whom we will find peace. In his word, in the experience of his power. But the crazy thing is, is that even though we experience this, even though we find it at times, we're so ready to run the other direction. We're so ready to, to walk away or to quit considering it and to allow other things to come in and take, take precedence or, or, to, or to take and steal our attention. But in this moment, in this miracle, in this sign, we see the peace of this sovereign God connected with his presence and his word. And I, I just I encourage you to consider that, that in this moment, it, we, we don't have the physical Jesus walking on water, facing us, looking at us, challenging us. We, we don't have the experience with Jesus in that boat on that first stormy night. But no, make no mistake, the, the power of his word is still prevalent. We still make a difference. Make no mistake that, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have come to know him, if you recognize him as, as this sovereign God, <clears throat> it's because of the power of his work in your life. One last thing I just want us to see is that in this sign we find that this sovereign God is mindful of us. To me, this is probably the most intimate or, or, or personable moments in, in the Scripture. And, and as Jesus comes to these men, He didn't leave them languishing. He didn't leave them struggling. He didn't leave them fighting. He came to them and He brought them where they needed to be. The Psalms, man, they are so full of people in awe of God and how he interacts and affects our lives. David wrote, especially in Psalm 834, specifically speaking of this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Well, so often we forget this fact that this is the sovereign God, the God who created the God who brought all things into existence. He's not simply a God to be commanded and demanded of. But this God who, who put all, it all into place and holds it all in place, this God is concerned for the moments and the events of your life. He cares for you. He wants you to experience this peace. He wants you to know the presence of His of His. Of his life-giving word. He wants you to know His power. He's mindful of you and He cares for you. So I just want you to consider the implications or the inferences that come with this, this phrase, it is I. And when Jesus said, it is I, He's saying, you know, I should say, there are theologians that have argued over this. 
for some time. Some want it to be this theological, doctrinal place where Jesus is claiming to be God. I am, because if you translate it literally from the Greek, he says, I am. And then there are others that say, no, that's not what he's saying at all. And the whole argument comes, what's the motive of Jesus? But John doesn't tell us Jesus' motive. He just tells us that that's what he says. It is I. Just at least, certainly introducing himself and letting them hear who he is. But I want you to hear the inferences based on the context of this passage. It is I who watches over you. It is I who knows where you are. It is I that knows the circumstances of your life. And one of the greatest truths we can learn about God is that he knows not only what we've faced, but he also knows what we will face. He's our sovereign God. And Jesus says, it is I who watches over you. He says, it is I who lingers and delays. Jesus knew what his disciples were dealing with. He knew. He had no doubt that they were struggling. He knew that it had been seven or eight hours that they had been paddling. And he allowed them to continue to struggle. Because he knew it was for their good. Now last week I, I, I brought this to light through the, through the breaking of the bread. And Jesus had instigated a struggle for them. He had instigated this problem for these disciples. And he had said, hey, how are we going to feed them? None of the disciples had thought, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? Not, none of them had. In fact, those people wouldn't have eaten at the disciples' hands had it been left to the disciples. Jesus brought up the problem. And, and we can recognize that there's plenty of problems that he leads us into. There's struggles that we face that he causes in our life for our good, but there's also struggles that he allows to continue for our good. And I want you to just think about this in your own life, and I want, you to, I want you to pinpoint and specifically name out the struggles that you're dealing with because I realize and recognize that most every person in this room, almost all of you, will have some struggle that you face, some doubt, some concern for, for your work, some, some struggle in your family. I know this to be true because we live on an earth that's just riddled with the fruits of sin and it stinks at times, man. It's so tough, it sucks. But Jesus has promised us that he watches over us. And there's nothing that we have faced or will face that he doesn't already know. And as he lingers or delays, his word also tells us that He's doing this for our good so that we grow in our faith, so that we are, are grown up and matured. It's discipline. And we can now confidently face each circumstance, each and every situation, knowing that he will not allow us to endure anything that's not meant for our good. Believers, know this. This is your promise. Not only is he not going to let you endure something you can't handle, it tells us that in Ephesians, but he's not going to let you endure anything that's not meant for your good. All things work together for your good at the, at the hand of our sovereign God. It is I who watches over you. It is I who, who, who um, lingers and delays. It is I who loves you. I know that in our culture, we like to receive love in ways that feel good to us, that make us 
feel like, feel happy, you know. I mean, I like to be loved in the ways I like to be loved. I, I like to be loved by somebody doing nice things for me and that I, from my perspective at least, feel like are going to be easy for me to handle. It's difficult to receive the love of a father. I love my boys, and they know I love them because I've disciplined them. I've challenged them in their perspectives. And even as, even as one of them is turning 18, I told him, I said, you know what, it's not, it's not my role any longer to command you to do things, but you need to hear my advice. And I almost gave that up. I almost let that go in a moment of selfishness and, and, and just uh, uh, hurt, just trying to learn my role and figure it out. But I recognize that he doesn't define my role. He doesn't tell me how to love him. In fact, not to give him the advice of a, of a father and to challenge his perspective would be the exact opposite. So now, he doesn't like it. But Cameron, I love you. Tristan, I love you. And this love that I hope my sons, my children, hmm, it doesn't even come close to comparing with the love Christ had for these disciples. It doesn't come anywhere close to comparing with the love that he has for you. You see, he watches over you. He lingers and delays. He allows these struggles because he loves you. And the great promise of the scripture, the great promise of God's word that should bring, pre, should be, bring peace and confidence to our lives is that he has said there is nothing, neither life nor death, Angels nor demons, nothing in all of creation will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He loves you. And when he cried out, it is I, he is letting them know I'm here and I love you. It is I, he says, it is I who comes at just the right moment. Seven, eight hours in, I'm certain that they were exhausted I'm certain that they were worn out. They were tired. They were probably wondering, why did we start when we started? But Jesus' timing is perfect. He knows when the lessons are learned. He knows the moments that, that He needs to reveal Himself to us. He knows. He knows when He needs to show us that we were never alone. Imagine these disciples. I'm sure they thought they were all by themselves in this. But they were never alone. You and I, by the, by the power of God, through the Spirit of Christ, we are never alone. And he knows how to come at just the right moment. It is I, he says, who save. Just as Jesus delivered the disciples in that moment that he entered the boat, he delivers each and every one of us. 
I want you to recognize this. The, the salvation, the, their, their salvation, their deliverance was as certain in the moment that he put his foot in the boat as it was the moment they stepped out on the dry ground. And the truth is that your salvation, your deliverance is the exact same. It is I who saves, he says. It is I who saves. You're, you're, you're powerless in this. You have no control. You, you have no, no, no priority except that he came and he did a work of salvation, that he came and revealed himself to you, that he showed up in the midst of your life and in the midst of your circumstances and let you see him for who he is. And yes, he called you and he said, it is I. And he looks for your response to call him into the boat, but make no mistake, you're calling him into the boat because he has shown himself to you. It's his work. What a beautiful picture. All of this, in the moment, in just a few hours, Jesus walking on the water. In just a few moments, seeing the peace and the presence of God through his word, through his power. And knowing today that you and I can experience the same peace. You and I can know the same power. You and I can see and encounter this same God, this sovereign God. Who wants you to hear him say, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your son. Thankful for our salvation. And thankful for the work that your salvation does in us. It satisfies us. It brings us peace. It, it brings us comfort. It allows us and enables us to sense and feel joy in this life. I, Father, I don't know the struggles of every person in this room. But I know there are struggles. If I'm not going to ask and demand that you show up before you're ready. But God, let them hear now. Let them know now that they aren't alone, and that they can look forward to the coming of their Savior. That they can look forward to the revelation of how His work will be for their good. That they can look forward to the moment of deliverance from the momentary struggle and from the struggle that we call life. God, that we have so much to look forward to, so much to live for every day. I pray, God, that the people of this church, the people, the, the, your people that are sitting in this room in this moment, would walk with this sense of peace and confidence because they've heard you call out. And they've seen your power. They've not just believed, but they have grown and, 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 and experienced more and more and more of you. That their doubts are washed away. That they are made strong for the walk that you have ahead of us. Made ready. For all you have. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.